Hey gang, welcome to episode 87 of the No Persinium podcast, your guide to immersive entertainment, brought to you by listeners like you. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from Los Angeles. Today on the show, we go into the realm of the virtual with our buddy Jesse Damiani, the editor-at-large for VR Scout. Uh, we're going to be talking to Jesse about, um, well, a big chunk of it is actually his visit to Sundance uh, and the New Frontier, and uh, I just pepper him with questions. And, um, like, the first, like, third of the show is just me uh, being excited about a Dandy Punk's installation there and getting Jesse to tell me in detail what it was. So uh, it's a nerd-out show. It's always a nerd out show. What am I saying? All right, more on that in a moment. First, we're going to get to some news and notes. We got a lot, so let's get into it. First things first. I'm very proud to announce that on March 23rd, on that Thursday, we've got an unofficial, an unofficial Hollywood Fringe Town Hall about immersive at the Fringe. Uh, Matthew Quinn, uh, who who's running Studio C these days, uh, and who's a veteran producer at the Hollywood Fringe, we've teamed up with him to sort of uh, help people orient themselves uh, for for immersive folks who are looking thinking about getting involved in the Hollywood Fringe. Uh, this is going to be the space to ask us questions about that. For Hollywood Fringe folks who are looking to uh, connect with the immersive community and uh, that fan base, this is going to be the space for them to do that as well. Uh, March 23rd, 8 p.m., Studio C. You need to RSVP through the Hollywood Fringe site. I will toss uh, links into... Uh, I'll toss them into the show notes even, so hopefully you'll be able to find them there, although digging them out of the show notes uh, on the podcast thingies can be difficult but they're also in our facebook and twitter feeds and we'll keep on pushing it there and maybe i'll write a little note about it because this is a pretty big deal uh there's a immersive category in the fringe this year and if we get enough people involved in that it'll be in the actual physical booklet that people use to find shows so um, massive, massive, massive. And Matthew's also uh, helping uh, to uh, set up some marketing channels within the fringe for immersive shows uh, at Studio C, even when people aren't going to be at Studio C. So uh, connect with us at the town hall or before. Fringe deadline is April 1st. So you'll have like one more week to get your act together and get into the festival if you haven't done that already. That's the biggest news internally. Uh, the next biggest news internally, we've got a lot of big news, um, on this coming Monday, that is February, oh, what day is it? <laughs> It'll be February 27th at 5 o'clock. In our Slack channel, we're going to have a little Ask Me Anything session with Annie Lesser, who is uh, the creative force behind the ABC project, uh, of which C. Cavell uh, has a preview this Sunday in Silver Lake slash Los Feliz, depending on how you... It is Los Feliz. It's not Silver Lake. I'm a stickler about that. It's not It's not Silver Lake. It's Los Feliz. Bar Cavell, C. Cavell is uh, where the preview is this week. And uh, pretty much like every, starting on March 12th, like every Sunday for a couple of Sundays. Um, so we're going to be talking with Annie on the Slack channel. We've set up uh, the Office Hours channel within the Slack. Uh, if you want to get involved in the Slack in general, just toss us an email, no underscore at 
like no and then an underscore proscenium at outlook.com. I know he said something completely different there. That would have been terrible. We've got more AMAs coming up in March. Uh, Zay, I'm going to get him to come in. Uh, looks like uh, the week of the 13th, I think that's happening. And uh, FOMA Labs as well uh, will be uh, joining us inside the Slack channel to uh, answer questions about immersive design and their upcoming uh, piece uh, in San Francisco for the Battery Club. Um, and more soon. We keep on... We keep on booking people. It's a little, it's a little squirrely. Uh, I'll admit, trying to get the AMA thing going on because you know we got people in all over the place, and you know, we're theater people, so we go out and we we go to theater at night. We don't just hang in front of our computers. Or we're making theater at night, so we got to find like a, a night. It may turn into Mondays, the traditional off night. We'll see. We're gonna make this work. We're gonna make this work. Speaking of other things that we have made work. Uh, and work that you can enjoy. Uh, there's a feature this week at the No Persinium Medium Collection on the Kansas Collection, which is the Speakeasy Society's current um, episodic immersive. Um, they've got remounts coming on in the end of March, and the new chapter is going to be popping up in April. Uh, and the show is going to continue. I think there's chapters maybe, maybe right at the end of the year. We don't get into that in the feature. Uh, this is the first of what's probably going to be a couple of features on the piece. I've kind of recused myself from reviewing this particular run. Um, just because I did have a hand in, in commissioning them to come to indicate and that's where the key popped up. So it gets a little weird. So I'm not going to be reviewing any of uh, the Kansas collection for that reason, but we are going to keep on reporting on it. Um, so look forward to that. This means you get to talk about the show before the show pops up, which is uh, a lot of fun. And pop-up is the, the critical thing. But I am still reviewing shows. Uh, I went to the preview of uh, Why I Want to Fuck Ronald Reagan. See there, now it's on tape. You guys can use it against me. Um, which is Ceaseless Fun's new immersive theatrical happening that's going on at the fringes of downtown LA. Uh, this is a piece based on some of the works in J.G. Ballard's The Atrocity uh, Expedition. Oh, I just messed it up. Anyway, I'm not looking at the name of the, the short story experimental collection in front of me right now. It's Ballard Stories. It's where Crash comes from. It's really really fucked up um get to put the explicit tag on this episode yay um i actually don't care <laughs> i don't really care i'm just worried about someone's like my kids ears i don't know if any of you listen to this with children i assume somebody does um it was fun it was fun um it was a preview performance so like there's a little some kinks in the system the actors coming up on the first time but if that was the first time they were in front of an audience wowzers um it's raw, it's visceral, uh, content advisories up the wazoo. I mean, it's Ballard, and if you know anything about Ballard, he goes there. So it's screwed up in a psychosexual way. Uh, so not not for people, who, if you have issues with that kind of stuff, you just want to stay right the F away from this. But if you don't, uh, and and uh, you might, you might. Look, I gave a pretty glowing review. Uh, I'll just put it that way. Um and uh, I think it's it's worth checking out. Ceaseless Fun, uh, Derek's got some, he's got the, the DNA for this. There, that's all you really need to know. Um, hey, uh, I want to pause for a second and talk about this episodic thing. 
um, that's going on. Uh, that's kind of what we get into a bit in the feature on uh, the Speakeasy Society. And in that I reference here, which is the new piece uh, in San Francisco, in San Francisco, in New York. Sorry, I got the hometown on the brain. Um, the new piece in New York by uh, Kelly Bartnick, uh, which um, uh, Kelly originated the role of the bald witch in Sleep No More, uh, both uh, in Boston and in New York. And this is a brand new episodic uh, immersive piece that's going on in New York City. Uh, it's just it's an exciting moment that people uh, across the country are experimenting with this format. Uh, we have like one paragraph on that in the piece, but I think uh, it's something we're going to explore some more and uh, maybe we can, we can get Zay uh, doing some legwork in, in New York city for us. So if you're listening, Zay, I have, I have a potential assignment for you. Um, what else is there? There's so much. Um, no, next in the notes, we've talked about Cavell, which is uh, previewing this week. Also um, to the wild, which is, um, Shine On Collective's new work, they're doing a little press preview this Sunday, so we should have uh, some notes on that for you next week. Uh, we're putting the finishing touches on a review. Uh, one of our, our friends in San Francisco has a review of the Speakeasy uh, up there, Boxcar Theaters. And then uh, I'll be catching it in like two weeks, so we're going to have another. We'll have two write-ups about uh, the Speakeasy. Um, I, I may... I may go on feature mode for that one, too. We'll see what I do. I haven't decided yet. San Francisco issue just came out today. LA issue comes out on Saturday. New York will be Sunday or Monday. Chicago is, I think, in, in a holding pattern for a moment. Uh, it's It's been, it's been um, just is. You don't, you don't get to know everything. Um, everybody's fine. No one's left. Just people are busy, man. Like, like we're, we're this is a volunteer army here. Um, oh, that's, that's probably a cue. They should probably show for Patreon. Give me a minute to do that. I'll do that at the end of the show. I'm going to show for Patreon at the end of the show as opposed to right now. So you guys can turn it off after the interview. This episode was recorded at Think Tank in downtown Los Angeles. Now, Think Tank is mutating. They're taking their show on the road. Uh, the gallery is transforming Caterpillar-like into 939 Studio. So they still have uh, a hand, the guys behind Think Tank still have a hand in, in curating and running and renting out the gallery. But Think Tank is now going to be mobile. Go mobile. I'm always looking for an excuse to do my Bane impression. Um, <laughs> I am. That's the sad truth. That wasn't even, that's not hyperbole at all. Um, and now I'm really resisting doing the rest of this in my Bane voice. Just to say, Think Tank is instrumental in this particular episode, not just because we recorded there, not just because Jacob and Patrick are awesome dudes, but because I wouldn't know Jesse if it wasn't for them. Uh, and the first time I, I met Jesse, it was we were sitting in the podcast studio. We were not recording. And I think we had like a two and a half hour conversation between Jacob, Patrick, Jesse and myself. Uh, over whiskey. It was awesome. Uh, this this is is sadly not as awesome as that was. It's like a missing episode of all the podcasts. Um, but it's still really good. Um, Jesse's great. He's going up to the Bay Area t- 
to uh, get all incubated up. Uh, he's he's working on um, the issue of like software to help people script immersive experiences, both digital and live. We get into that in a little bit. So this is a beautifully wonky at points, but also um, it's it's this this Venn diagram of the immersive digital and the immersive physical um, is really what we're talking about here. And I hope you uh, enjoy exploring this headspace as much as I enjoy uh, trying to live there all the time. So without further ado, here's the interview. Oh, that rhymed. So once again, here in the Think Tank studio, and, and Jesse, this is, this is actually kind of your home, right? It's uh, it's fading obviously because I'm because I'm leaving. But yeah, it's been it's been a home to me for about a year and a half. Oh, fantastic! Well, glad glad on your last week to be able to give you kind of a last hurrah. By the time this airs, you'll have been up in the Bay Area for a minute, and you can tell me whether or not you enjoy it. So, as I probably mentioned in the soft open, I sure hope I did. Otherwise, this is going to be disorienting for everybody. <laughs> but I don't know what Future Noah is going to do. Um, he has his own plans. Um, and then I had a dark thought. I was like, well, maybe Zay has to do it because I'm dead. <laughs> um, boy. Ugh. Anyway, um, feeling immortality these days. Uh, oh, I said immortality. It'll be okay. All there right. you go. Right. You've been slip. you've been running around as the uh, editor at large of VR Scout, one of uh, one of our fine VR publications here on planet Earth, uh, which there didn't used to be so many of, and now there's a few. Sure. Um, and you were at the Sundance back in January, yep. and you got to see a lot of stuff, and yep. I didn't get to go this year, so could you tell us what you saw that was cool? <laughs> I would love to. Uh, I mean, did the vicariously well, the first, the, first thing, <laughs> the first thing to talk about is just um, seeing the way that the Sundance, um, sort of the culture of VR at Sundance, uh, the community that is fostered is a really positive one. Oh yeah. Um, and so, and it, this was my first Sundance, so I, I was totally <sighs> unprepared for that. Yeah, I know. I know. Oh, and, wow. And so you're used to more like expo things and things that are maybe more gamer oriented or this was like, you know, this is the VR art. Yeah. This is, this is, this is, oh yeah. Cause like my, to my shame, my, I, I've been to Sundance twice and the first year was the year that uh, Poverty in Los Angeles was being shown. Uh, no, wait. No, the second year was the year that Poverty in Los Angeles was being shown. And like, I didn't have the patience to stick around because hmm. there was a line or something like that. Right. And like I was on my going to go like, to in a movie. And I was like, you know. And and the building that year wasn't as cool as the building the year before, so I was kind of like, oh, I'm in this weird building, and like, <laughs> and they've got they've got that guy's got like a television on his head, and like, who's that weird squirrely kid in the corner? It was Palmer, right, uh, right. you know, like, well, what's all this garbage? I mean, I want to know VR, but if this is this dactyl nightmare again, fuck this. <laughs> uh, so I, I went away. Boy, was I wrong. Uh, but what did you... So so the culture, though. The culture is... So, amazing. yeah. So that was just... I mean, that's the first thing to note, to my mind. You know, I've been to a lot of these different conferences, and that one just felt so good. It just felt good. Like, I, I yeah. went to sleep at night just feeling like, yeah, like, it just excited you about VR. Did you get to have, like, those conversations with people randomly, like, on the buses? Because that's what, that's what it was always... That's what I love about Sundance. Well, so I didn't have them on the buses. I would have them in, um, like... The actual sort of the, there's the New Frontiers um, or the New Frontier building, and then there was the um, 
VR Palace. And so there are multiple places where they were, and, and those are sort of the two main ones, but then there's the other sort of offshoot places. Um, and so oftentimes, you know, they had like bars there and they had like some social areas built in so that there was actually some like mingling and just sort of general talking that could happen there. And so um, you would end up in great conversations like there. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> in in what I think is probably one of the most criminally LA things I've ever done, I drove up to... Uh, Park City in my Prius and just totally didn't and and my Wisconsin self was just like you idiot (laughs) you know Um, and so I I drove and that led to some sort of uh, hilarity at three in the morning with my car stuck in a snowbank etc um, but anyway, like, so, yeah. how did I forget what reality is like? I know. <laughs> yeah. And it was one of those things where you just, yeah, you just kick yourself because it's not like I've never lived in a winter place. Yeah. It's not like I'm born and raised in LA and didn't understand. It's like, I know all this stuff, yeah. but I just like, because of how the weather was in LA when I left, I was like, Oh, it won't be that bad. And of course it's like the worst, or not the worst, but the strongest snow they've had in like a decade or something. Ooh. So it was a whole thing. It was beautiful. It and, and the walks, the walks and, you know, running oh. into people and walking, talking. Yeah. It's, I, I really, it was just, it was like, beautiful. Like if you're a person who likes film and then I see this cause the VR thing is pretty strong. Although I, I hear like, I guess the, the South by VR thing just got announced. Everyone's crowing about it. I haven't had a yeah. chance to dig through yet, but like if, if you if you like film, if you like media stuff, particularly it's a great place for documentaries. I mean, it's a great place for everything, but like if you're a doc hound, it's a really great place. Um, just you know, treat yourself, save up, treat yourself at least once to go there, because uh, you know, and you know, hustle on finding a place to crash. That's probably the, <laughs> the main thing to do, and and just 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 do it because it's good for the soul. Yeah. You know, I, I love that place. I'd go if I was a millionaire, oh, I'd yeah, just be right. all the time. Well, and and what's fun about being in the VR community right now as to sort of the aforementioned is like for instance, I sort of misunderstood. I had an arrangement with somebody in terms of my I, I stayed in three different places while I was in Park City and I basically in the chaos like didn't actually planned for my first night there so I had to last minute scramble I got on like all the VR groups uh, and it turned out you know of course the women in VR group was the group that you know sort of stepped up and and, and helped it out um, but basically I ended up in a house with like all these awesome VR people they just called it like VR house there's like 10 other people they'd rented this like big sort of like I don't want to call it a mansion, but it was just a very big house in Park City, about five minutes walk from, you know, the main drag. And so that ended up up being amazing. Yeah, up on um, Woodbridge, if you know. I think, I think, yeah. Like, so like you would like, if you'd go out, if there was a deck or something, you could like look down onto like the main street. Oh yeah, you could see Main Street. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was beautiful. And you'd like walk down like a, there's either, there's probably like a, a, a footpath. Like a, a staircase that went down. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Okay. You're like, deep, I know you're deep. just, I see the, I see the nostalgia like, uh. Well, and I, I feel bad for everyone listening because it's like, God, is this a fucking tourism ad for Park City, Utah? <laughs> you know, if anyone knows, damn, it's too late. We can't get any money for that. Ugh. Anyway. Um, uh, okay. So, so. I'm done crowing about Park City. What did you get to see? So, yeah. So, some of the things that I saw that I really loved um, were chocolate. Um, did you hear about, did, like, what was your... So, the ones, like, what was on my radar... Oh, my goodness. Because um, sometimes with the New Frontier, it's sort of a little hard to tell exactly what's what. I, I knew Mind Show was going to be there, and I know the Mind Show guys, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. That'll be fun to talk, get your impression of Mind Show. And at some point, I'm going to have Gail on the show. Um, and then I knew th- there was something that I think was being shown on the meta. I know yep. that yep. Uh, Chris Milk had a piece. 
mm-hmm. uh, that was that was you know all about empathy. Mm-hmm. And then some of the other stuff, the New Frontier that I was zeroed in on were like Dandy Punk's piece. Uh, which I'm wondering if you got a chance to see. Yeah, that actually, can I jump in on that? Yeah, please do. Um, so it oh was kind of God. amazing because we got So the, describe what this is because people do not, they probably don't understand who Dandy Punk, uh, excuse me, a Dandy Punk right, is. Uh, right. And, and and I mean, it, that's me making it sound pretentious. I, I don't think it sounds pretentious, although I guess I just said that. It, it's not because like it's, it's, it's just, it's, it all makes sense once you see it in motion. It's yeah. like... He's an illustrator and he's like a performative character and he's just fucking amazing. Yeah. No, it was that. So totally caught off guard by that. So we show up for the press preview and basically we're sort of ferried around and given brief intros into what everything is. Mm -hmm. So we're not actually like doing any of them. So that piece was at the very end of that tour. And... So we go inside and there's, you know, there's this sort of like very somber looking like, you know, lots of like religious sort of motifs and stuff. There's this this woman standing outside and she sort of ushers us in and the door closes. And so basically what, what it is, is it's kind of like inverting virtual reality back into immersive theater. You know what I mean? Because it's like you're in a room and basically uh, it's a sort of a blend of choreography and um, illustration using projection. And so different things are playing out against the wall that of course, you know, a dandy punk is sort of moving around and like, it's like he's making it happen and you're sort of lost in this, you know, air quotes, virtual reality that's happening right in front of you all together in a collective experience while there's kind of like a laser light shower that this dancer is, you know, doing these insane acrobatic sort of body movements in. And there's a sort of Jim Henson-esque puppet kind of like ushering you, guiding you through the experience. So, but the funny thing is we had no idea what we were about to walk into <laughs> because we thought we were going to just be like told what it was and, and walked out. Cause you know? that's what had happened so far. It was just like all, this is a thing and that is a thing. And maybe one day we will let you see it, but let's move on to this next thing over here. And right. like, yeah. So you got that performance. That's a nice bit of stagecraft on there. No, part. it was, it was, and it was just so, I mean, like I don't even, I, you know, I feel sort of suspect saying this as a writer, but I don't actually know how to describe that piece and do it justice. Like, I feel like with certain kind of immersive projects, it's like you really have to see, like what comes to mind is watching him, there's a little animated, you know, character projected onto the wall that he's sort of putting his hands underneath and letting it walk beneath him, then he lets it fall. And and there's something so sort of beautiful and tragic about that one moment. And that's just one tiny moment in this larger sort of thing that culminates in this piece, I'm sure you saw videos where there's the couch and he's sort of like in this vortex. Anyway, I've seen like a a sizzle reel that was, um, and it was put on, it was, there, there's a, there's a Vimeo video of it. And he put a couple of, a couple of pieces on Instagram. Cause like, he's actually really known a lot for doing Instagram. And this, this guy, um, you know, his, his stage persona is a dandy punk and he's worked with like Cirque du Soleil. He's gone in and like, it's not really, an, it's not an internship, but like Imagineering will bring people in and he's gone into Imagineering and what he's, the medium he's working in is a projection mapping. And the thing I don't know, uh, because there's other people working projection mapping, doing a similar vein thing, a similar vein thing, uh, like uh, cloud eye control, uh, of whom uh, Miwa Matreik is a member, and I, I saw I've seen Miwa's stuff at uh, Sundance. I've seen Cloud Eye Control do work uh, at Red Cat, and and his aesthetic is this uh, sort of uh, 
gothic kind of emo just on the other side of fantasy like he everything would seem completely there's a little bit of dave mckean of of the sandman covers to it like if neil gaiman wrote a story and a dandy punk built it out it would seem like the most (laughs) natural thing in the world like i don't think there'd be anything more natural than that and the only thing i don't know is if he's um if the performance is something that he's memorized all the choreography on, which is what Miwa does and what mm-hmm. Cloud Eye Control does, so like it's the performer sinking to a, a pre-scripted animated role, or if he's using something like you know the visual sensors on a Connect to mm-hmm. um, have what he's doing trigger the animation. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm then I'm really. Did you find out? Did I didn't know? actually, and I'm wondering is that sort of. Um... Is that sort of like a coveted piece of tradecraft? Like, are they tight-lipped about about talking about whether or not it's one or the other? I'm not. I mean, like the the, the latter thing is so meaning, like using like a connector or something like mm-hmm. that. It's it's so new, and it's com- by by comparison. Well, it's interesting there though. Is like I know, and because he just announced, um, uh, like like the week this is being recorded, that. This was, you know, th- this wasn't just there to show it off. Like they've, they're planning a multi-room mm. um, piece that'll be, um, and, this, and here's where I can't remember if this was told in conference or not, but it's, it's going to be somewhere on the West Coast, <laughs> um, so or like close to the West Coast. It's like not not far from a major West Coast city and in a major city in the West. In a West Coast city near you. Yeah, in a West Coast city. Well, or at least in a city that is covered by uh, No Pro's West Coast. So wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> um, yeah, and and if you know enough about him, you can easily guess where it is. Um, so if you do a little research, you'll be fine. Um, and I know it's something that they, they aren't thinking is just like a permanent sit down in one city. It's like they, they want to take it in Mm -hmm. a couple of places. Um, and the thing is, is that if it's being, even if parts of it are being triggered by like a sensor, that would then mean that it would be interactive to the audience. Right. And that's the thing I don't know. Sure. But like, yeah, I get you on the. Like, how do you freaking describe that thing? Yeah. It's like it's nuts. And and by the way, my guess, and this is you know, I don't want to, no, 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 I don't want to step guess. on a dandy book. My guess is it was all choreographed. Yeah, because there were there were parts where we were, uh, I guess you know, it's one room, but we were kind of ushered to to focus our attention elsewhere, even though sort of multiple things might be going on at once. It's mm. like the sort of core, sort of what we'll call narrative thrust of that moment. Yeah, um, and. Yeah, it, it it seemed like something that would have been choreographed or it's just an amazing sort of uh, exertion of uh, commitment, you know, because the the how fine tuned the gestures were with the projection mapping was startling. Like it really came alive in a way that I just was totally unprepared for. Yeah. And of course, like you read these like sort of little brief descriptions, but they often do the disservice of making you think you have a sense of what it is. Yeah. And then it's absolutely not. And so it was, and it was happening in multiple places in the room. So it was kind of right. happening so, all around you. Like what, what about it was immersive as my, well, I mean, question. beyond the fact that you're like immersed in this whole, you know, but <laughs> so there were, um, at different points, there were, um, sort of, uh, women standing in front of this altar space kind of, uh, chanting but in a, in in you know sort of a low way um at different parts the the puppet would be sort of saying different things to you and had kind of like a high um 
like you've seen Labyrinth or, right. you know, Gremlins or anything, you know, so that 80s kind of like, you know, high, high goof, I guess I'll call it, um, saying different things. And then, you know, at the, at the end, it all culminated, you know, you're sort of being brought to different parts of the room as, you know, the dancers might still be dancing behind you. And, you know, I, I guess I can't like use my words to do the dance gestures that I'm doing in the room. Um, but so all this is going on and you're kind of just watching it and you're, you're taking it all in. And then the end culminates in this sort of, you all are looking toward the back wall where there's a couch. Mm. And what's happening is this mixture of, of dance and um, performance art and just something totally a category of its own. Because basically the back wall becomes the canvas and the couch becomes sort of the place where you know, it'll be using the Z-axis and the Y-axis to kind of play with how you see the depth of that back wall. Okay. So. I dig. I, I realize this all sounds very abstract, but go see this piece, I yeah. guess. Yeah, and I think you, you can, if you look him up, a uh, Dandy Punk, and it's spelled all lowercase. There's all lowercase, and there's a, there's a space between uh and Dandy Punk. Uh, if you find him on social media, you'll you'll get a glimpse of the kind of work he does and you'll be like, whoa. And if you're not like, whoa, you're probably not someone listening to this podcast. So, um, let's, let's, so another thing I knew was there was like, um, well, no, what other things stood out to you? Like, I'm glad that the thing I was like most nerdy about, uh, like you, you got to see and, and tell me, but let's, let's run with your picks. All right. What stood out for you? So chocolate was a big winner in my book. And um, what was chocolate? Chocolate I mean, is, chocolate's always a big winner in my book. Right? Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it is, Valentine's Day is nigh. Um, <laughs> but it was a music video following in the vein, if you saw Old Friend uh, by Tyler Hurd, it was a song, it's a Future Island song that, you know, he was always hearing on the subway and he, he felt like it was this manifestation of pure joy. And it debuted, I believe at Tribeca last year and it mm. made a big splash. And so he made his Sundance debut with another music video of a song by Giraffage. It's sort of using VR to almost craft also a different way of approaching a music video where almost like um, if you love something and you get the permission to make a project on it, it kind of becomes the official video rather than coordinating it. You know, so anyway, right. um, basically in this video, you are a three-legged robot god. Um, it's interactive. It's in the Vive. Um, and there's this sort of what I keep calling the kitten cult dancing all around you. They're people sort of like Aztec Mayan sort of uh, motif uh, cat masks. And they're doing this freaky kind of dance around you. And at periodic parts of the song, your um, hands, the, the controllers buzz and your hands turn into basically cannons. And when you pull the triggers, cats in a style of like Lisa Frank fly from your hands <laughs> and you rain them down on the kitten cult. It's their like precious resource, you know? And so it's just a ton of fun. It makes you dance. And then toward the end, these like giant, like Buddha cats, like march out and to reward you for rewarding, I guess their people with the cats who mind you fly out in like bullet time. So you're seeing them like <laughs> flying away from you. Oh wow! Um, and they come out and they like shake champagne and it's all gold. And it's, so it's very explosive and fun and, and just like a cool way to reimagine how a music video can be immersive, even if you do it in an isolated sort of single experience. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of work around music in VR right now, like a ton. Um, and I think that's very, I think that's smart because it's such a as much as as much as going to a concert is a communal experience. Like ever since the invention of the headphones, 
um, if not before then, like the the experience of putting on your headphones and really losing yourself in the music yeah. is is just oh it's American as apple pie. Yeah. Um, I mean hell when I do my dishes, you know it's like get the get the wireless going and. There might be a little dancing that happens. So well, there's got to be. There's yeah, be absolutely. Dancing. Well, and in VR, you don't like. I actually had this experience where the first room scale experience I ever put my dad through was "Old Friend." Was the first mm. piece by Tyler Hurd, um, and you know, my dad's a pretty open guy, but he also isn't prone to just breaking out and dancing. Um, and he got in this piece and just immediately just started boogieing, and we're like in the room. And he's got the headphones on. There's no music that we can ostensibly hear. And he's yeah. just boogieing, just having a good time. And it really reminds you, like, oh, here's one of the really crucial pieces to VR actually being transportive rather than, you know, everybody makes the argument. Like, I've been hearing this more and more lately about how AR is better or going to be more lucrative or all these things than VR. And it's like, okay, I mean, not to be cliche, but apples and oranges, you know? Um, yeah. And so with VR, the transportive quality can be really wonderful for things like that like getting you out of your body you like i'm not looking down seeing my body i'm seeing some goofy cartoon thing and then i'm like oh i can dance i don't care you know yeah it's like the day it's a much longer bridge to get ar to the point where it can be as transportive and transformational as vr is right now right. all of the all of the computing stuff you know, that's going to be lucrative. Like, yeah, that's that's all in AR. Like, revealing the data layer of reality, automatically you're, you're, you're in AR. But, you know, I, I'm not necessarily interested in, like, finding a, a better way to project spreadsheets onto my right. <laughs> world. Like, it's like, oh, great. Now, like, you know, the guy at the 7-Eleven can, like, walk over to the to the, the the cooler rack and get an instant readout of what he needs to refill. Right. That's so exciting. <laughs> you know, ooh, can't wait for Magic Leap to give me that experience. <laughs> right? You know, and that's and that and that was literally all Google Glass could really give you was like, you know, that that sort of dystopian version of of augmented reality. Whereas those of us who are VR enthusiasts it is the, you know, Calgon take me away, you know, and, and I'm starting to see some, you know, colloquial stuff about people. By the time this airs, you know, the IMAX VR will have debuted on Valentine's Day mm -hmm. here in L.A. And, um, you know, I already have friends who are like poking around in it. And like, it's not necessarily amazing, but like there are normies who are like totally going like, oh, my God, I got to yeah. play John Wick because yeah. they haven't really done it before. Yeah. And and that first taste is enough. And it's just we're at this point where so many people who are in the in any of the immersive field who have experienced VR, particularly early on, it's kind of like, well, when's the other shoe going to drop? Um, and the truth is, is that people haven't done it yet. Yeah. Like so yeah. many people haven't done it. Yet. Well, and, and to jump on that, one thing that I've been really resisting lately, like often what I've done is given people Google Cardboards yeah. um, because I feel like it's in my head, it's like, oh, this will be a good way for you to get a taste of what VR is. I've sort of stopped. I've dialed that back because I feel mm. like what happens is 
is you give people to Google Cardboard, and I feel like New York Times is sort of the guinea pig, like, macro test of this. Yeah. You give people these things, they're like, oh, okay, cool. Okay, now I've tried VR. It's done. So instead yeah. of it being, like, oh, so it's the a slight appetizer. Master? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it, Instead of being the slight appetizer, they take it as a whole meal when it's like, dude, the steak's coming. It's like room scale. You can touch stuff. You can pick it up. You can throw it around. You can do yeah. all these things. But you just stopped at 360 video in a cardboard. Yeah. And you sort of checked it off the list. And it's like, that's such a disservice you know, I mean, I remember you talking about this, how getting in to room scale, it was the Vive, right? Or was it no, even a prototype? It was a, it was a prototype, right? It was a prototype in a dude's living room that I saw six weeks after the the first E3 that um, where Oculus was being shown. Like, like the Oculuses were at Indiecade and some folks who worked on them. And then like Val- what would become Valkyrie was upstairs. And my first time was in Valkyrie. And then I like saw this guy's Indiecade project, which is a, like a, a horror thing. And he was like, yeah, I'm working on some stuff. And the dude at the time was, he was just living in a house like two doors down from Fred 62's <laughs> over off Vermont. And I was like, I live in the neighborhood. I'll swing on by. And, and it was, it was, he was taking a GoPro rig and a, an iPhone four and synced that to like the, the laptop that he was shoved into like a gaming laptop that he had shoved into a backpack mm. and stuck a, a DK one on my face and like was, wasn't even using the QR codes, which he designed it for. He was using his Persian rug cause it had enough differentiation mm. and pattern. And that was how he let me walk around VR in his living room. Um, and I was like, Holy shit, <laughs> this is where it's going. And, and, and that, you know, that was a very lucky cause I was on the beat at the time. It was six weeks after the first time I saw it mm-hmm. and it would be another six, seven months before Vive. And I remember when people were going to see Vive and, and the, the word was starting to like leak out, uh, particularly as like, you know, Valve was being quiet and they'd brought a bunch of devs up and like, it was starting to like bubble out and the press was like, what the hell? And a couple of press people got mm-hmm. to see it like on total NDA and they're like, you don't understand, you don't understand, you don't understand. And me and my arrogance, I was like, well, I understand a little bit of you guys. Right, right. Because I've, I've walked around the space. But that moment where you're walking around the space. Yeah. Um, and then when I finally had the Vive controllers in my hands, when like you had hands in the space, right. like changes everything. Um, and let's, let's, let me probe you on this one. So you really dug on chocolate. Uh, you, you, you had a little bit of reaction when I mentioned Mind Show. So t- tell me about your Mind Show experience. Well, so Mind Show actually, you know, I had a lot of conversations with those guys. I um, caught it at VRLA when they, they first announced it. Um, when we were covering it, we were trying to basically try to have as wide of a spread as possible so we could, in good conscience, cover all these different things. So because I'd already done Mind Show, that went to some other people on our team. But I love Mind Show. Yeah. I've written pretty extensively about how I think it's sort of like anything in this vein that's trying to find ways to get what we'll call, I mean, I feel like it's a disservice, but multiplayer, you know, something that gets real live people to work together with each other, whether that be in that moment or across time, like something like Mind Show, you know, I make the first part of the movie. I send it to my nephew. My nephew sends it to his, co- you know, and, and we start to make this thing together. It's just, I mean, it's amazing. I yeah. mean, you know this. I, m- I remember when we were, because you were at VRLA, I remember we talked about this. Yeah, I think just, I might have even been like pointed out the thing. It's like, that's the one you go like, into. Do that. Go do that. Yeah. Um, and, and so for people who don't know, and I've talked about it a little bit on the show before, it's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. It's almost like, it's like, a, it's almost like you're doing like a, a dress up cosplay puppet show. That's about right. Um, and so you you get to embody the characters. It's it uses the vibe as essentially a, a 
performance capture tool. Yeah. Um, and they've been they've been tweaking on it and iterating on it before like they they bring it to people. I'm always sort of pushing them and saying like just get it out there. Just yeah. get it out there cuz like Seriously. it's 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 really feels transformational because and all of the tools, right? Like I got to play around with like Oculus Medium, like yeah. a, a small demo version at over in October, and I, I still haven't played with Tilt Brush yet. But I imagine oh, they're, man. but I imagine they're relatively similar because it's like you know you're crafting sure. you're, you're crafting materials in category space, right? And and these creative tools, these native VR creative tools, they feel very freeing. And I, when I use one of them, more than a game. When I use one of these things, I just, I don't want to take the helmet off or I want there to be even more. Like, I just want to keep going. I want to experiment because you, you, you kind of feel like a god, you know, it's like, I have all the, I could just, I point my fingers and matter emerges out of nothing. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's dope. Well, and, and all those things, like what, what's exciting about seeing them all bubble up now is in imagining when it really starts to crystallize when these things start to merge so another thing i did at sundance that was not uh on display at sundance but i ended up in vr chat which is a a social vr thing um you know uh, a comparison would be alt space of course they're they're different beasts but um you know it's it's what it sounds like you can go into vr and, and socialize but i almost think the name limits the imagination when you're actually seeing what you can do in there they've they've um launched on steam so you should check it out at some point um but basically when i was there the very first night at the vr house um chris from morph uh put me in it and um i ended up being in there with a lot of the dev team of vr chat so they were like running around showing me in avatar all the different things they had going on so so what kind of things are you able to do so the thing that i was um really tickled by in, in the interest of sort of keeping it brief because there's tons of things I'm, I'm interested. Um, and so I guess I'll, I'll mention two. Um, one was uh, you could um, play capture the, it was a capture the flag shooter in real time multiplayer. So you could like pick teams with, you know, these are all real people live, you know, it's your own voice. You can all yell at each other and it's spatial. So like, you know, you'll hear somebody far away, far away, and somebody close, close kind of thing. And so you're running around trying to shoot people who are trying to get to your flag, and you're trying to get to their flag, and it's, you know, team effort. And you could tell that certain people had really spent a lot of time <laughs> in that one because they're really good. They knew the sort sure. of, like, places. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> when they learned the map, that I hate, I hate first day. I hate, like, second day on a game, and it's like, everyone knows the map but me. I have a yeah, life. I'm the loser. Yeah. Yeah, so that was fun. But then the where what you reminded me of in talking about um, the artist creation tools is they also have sort of a version of like, I don't want to call it a version of Tiltbrush because it's not, but they have a uh, painting application room, I guess we'll say, where you go in and you can just paint live in 3D, but you're all with each other and it's all room scale. And so you can move around in your room and look at it, but there's also the running or like the movement feature. Yeah. So you can move around the room and, and do these different things. So you could actually collaborate together. Um, and so seeing that, and then you look at something like Mindshow, which, which is focusing more on, on the creativity of, um, like, I guess what we'll call like cinematic in, in the, in the loosest possible sense of the term, they build yeah. themselves early on as like be your own production studio. Yeah. Um, but so the idea is, yeah, like a puppet sort of you're embodying a puppet and you're also the cameraman and you're also the director and I mean, everybody is the simplest way to think about it for those who know is it's it's machinima as performance capture yeah right 
um, is what they've got right now because they'll, they'll have different avatars in there. Uh, but okay, so I interrupted you though. So, so yeah, so so Mind Show, I mean, it's really wonderful, and they they did a really great thing where they would get out, they would give out awards. Um, so one of the people on our team got best jazz hands, so she was carrying her Mind Show best jazz hands clip everywhere <laughs> she went. Um, because you know, and 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 for reference, I hope people you know go check this out because you know there's like a green sort of swamp thing looking alien, and there's like a sort of goofy looking starship captain character, and and their facial expressions, the, the, they'll sync as best as they can with your own. So you know, if you scream or whatever, if you go ah, then it'll open its mouth and all this stuff, and so it really it feels, especially as they iterate, it feels increasingly, you know, air quotes real. You know, it feels yeah. increasingly. Um, embodied and vibrant and alive and it's and it's i just i really i really 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 wonder if it's not just a totally new way of bonding with people that you might not otherwise be able to it could get interesting that way like that that we finally that we have increasingly intuitive tools with which to play and co-create with each other Mm -hmm. like you don't have to be a genius to use mind show or to use you know medium or or tilt brush right like you you just have to you have to be willing to get a little goofy yeah and it gives me hope that maybe what you just said like this could be new ways for people to like bond with each other and given how just nasty the internet culture Mm -hmm. has gotten the idea that there's this other space where your gentle play is the most rewarding thing because you know a shooter i've done some shooter stuff in vr like i've done you know what space pirate trainer uh it's a solo experience and that's that's totally fun and and there's a few others but like I can also just just easily be like, man, I, I, I don't, I don't want that to be like, that. That could not be my full time. Oh, sure. VR, VR central. Oh, it like, gives. It's just I remember. Too much. I did even John Wick. Floor. John Wick, and I was like, oh, ah, everything's around me. Yeah. Anything. I, I, I mean, you know, I do think there's a certain degree of people adjusting to things, but I'll say this. Um, I did a series of. I tried a, a bunch of different games, including a number of shooters when I was at Oculus Connect. Mm-hmm. And the one that really stands out to me, well, not in terms of quality, but the one that sort of uh, informs what I'm about to say is Killing Floor's VR um, game that's coming out. And, <clears throat> and it's it, a horror shooter, right? It's a horror, yeah. It's like yeah. in the vein of Resident Evil, right. if, you're, if you're unfamiliar. Um, and, there, and, and I'd never played the franchise prior to VR, so this is my first time ever playing Killing Floor. And there are these creatures called spider zombies that are exactly what they sound like. They're 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 human sized. In fact, a little bit bigger than you scale wise, with eight legs that scuttle towards you, oh, and you have to shoot them amid <laughs> a bunch of other things. And of course, it's dark and it's grimy, and these these things come around corners, and there's a lot of like auditory cues that freak you out. And when you get out of that. You feel like you left a nightmare. And admittedly, people want to go feel nightmares. I mean, that's why immersive horror is such a big thing. Right. But so I'm not I'm not I'm not poo-pooing it. It's a it's a thing that we'll need. It's it's a certain kind of catharsis that's important. However, I do think the push toward shooters right now is a holdover from the video game landscape of a few years ago. Yeah, no, it's 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 what you know, I mean it's Modern Warfare or Call of Duty, excuse me, now it's whatever it is now, Tactical Laser Patrol or whatever the fuck, um, 
you know, it's still the the big seller, but it really feels like it's capped out. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's it. I mean, you know, and there've been some games, I, I feel like I've fallen off. Like I got Titanfall 2 this past year because uh, it was so well-reviewed and I really liked the first one and I thought it was great and I haven't bothered to finish it yet. Mm. And, and it's just not... And I'm looking at the release schedule, and aside from the fact that I still don't have like a, a headset of my own, so part of me is like, well, gonna see what's happening with the Xbox Scorpio. What's it gonna support? Is that how I'm gonna be able to do VR? And these questions, mm-hmm. and I don't find myself excited about maybe anything but like you know Red Dead Redemption Two. And sooner or later there'll be another Batman game, and sooner or later there'll be a Halo game. And even Halo, I'm like waning on because I'm like right. Halo is what I used to. Halo's the universe that I loved when Star Wars was more bunned. Uh, and now that Star Wars is back, I'm like, okay, well, Halo's kind of <laughs> lost the thread. It's still a good game, but like, it's still my favorite shooter. But at the end of the day, i I want something. I want something more. I've been playing those games for God FPSs. Wow, it's like you know, going two decades since yeah. two decades or more since freaking like Quake and Doom came out. Yeah, I mean, how many ways can you? Can you do that? Well, I and like I think almost done them all. I think uh, two two comments on that. One, there's a lot of violence, both literally in the world, obviously, and also yeah. there's a lot of like as you you described with you know the internet's becoming this sort of chaotic, you know, outrage and rage fueled place, and I think it breeds a lot of violence in people. And my hope and what I feel happening is that VR is going to be the way to leave that and so you don't want to leave that and double down in the violence so that's point yeah. one and a lot of people talk about like you know the violence in vr feeling like doubly impactive oh yeah because they're like all like Which... i would i would argue quadruply mm-hmm. you know like it more much much more because it's this is one of the ways in which vr is as powerful if not more powerful than even the grandest uh even the most hyperbolic estimation would have you believe because Anything, it doesn't have to be a shooter. Anything flying into your face or coming into your personal space in VR bugs your brain out because your brain yep. in, inherently knows I'm not supposed to have things flying at this body. <laughs> this body needs to stay safe. And so if you are in something that's designed, like it's the same thing people describe with um, cinematic VR or 360 compared to movies. In movies, we've developed all these cuts to sort of generate the sense of action, you know, and people right. sort of deride the like fast cut kind of thing. But I think that's a, that's a cinematic language for flat media. In immersive media, you have to be a lot gentler because things yeah. manifest so much more powerfully. And yeah, things that are violent in nature, even even if that's just emotional, even if it's even if it's a, an implied violence, you have to you're just directly in somebody's like visual spatial computing mechanism, you know. I mean the the long ethical question can and and this can probably apply to live immersive performance as well is you know if if desensitization if desensitization desensitizing oh god my brain it's not working in the right ways you know what i'm talking about everybody we know that happens to 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 some degree or another and like different people are wired different ways and but one of the reigning theories is that like the more you're exposed to this, this stuff the more desensitized you are and the more it starts to sort of rewire your pathways mm-hmm. so that you you need more and more of it right you know if you're if you've got a certain personality type or maybe even anybody's personality type and and there are moments when I step back and I do wonder, like, well, because it's like quadruply as intense, will some people who just, you know, 
pick it up pretty early will they just be like oh yeah whatever like i decapitated the dude and it's like totally photorealistic and like whatever oh you want me to decapitate somebody in real life sure yeah you know like and that's like in a very very extreme example but but that gets at the way that we engage with mental illness which is really complicated because we silo it into oh they're crazy and i'm not crazy rather than like we all have capacities toward mental illness that can be basically inflamed by stimulus or just genetically, you know, yeah. sort of happen genetically. And I think what VR in general and, and you know, immersive media and by extension augmented reality and whatever else sort of comes down the line, what it's asking both from the people creating it and the people being guinea pigged on it is to sort of further understand your sensory apparatus as the passageway into your mind. Right. And so... And when, gonna... you, and when you're creative, like it really asks you to do that. Mm-hmm. And like, and, but I, then I start thinking about how many people, you know, we've got a, we've got a big enough problem in the society. And I mean, planetary wide with media literacy as it is sure. the, the idea, um, like any of us who make media, you have to be media literate in order to understand how to make media. Mm-hmm. Some people are savants about, they just stumble through, but for the most part, if you you know the way you become a better media maker is you get increasingly media literate. Right. Um, not everyone feels compelled to do that. Not everyone has the time. Not everyone's necessarily interested. And I wonder, you know, you know, are we? I'm being very pessimistic these days. Like, are we setting ourselves up for a disaster? No, yeah, yeah. You know, like I mean, I'm, I'm not quite chicken littling here yet because because I see the flip side of it, and exactly what you're talking about about. Um, you becoming aware of your apparatus and like this idea of the the meditative uses of it, Mm -hmm. you know, and just the way of like, you know, bringing someone out and like taking the time to be like, okay, so do you understand how that works? Did you see? And like, Mm -hmm. like, are you curious about what we were doing? Do you Mm want to, do you want to see, do you want to see what's behind the curtain where the wizard is? Right. You know, like it can create increasingly savvy people. Well, and to circle back to mind show, that's exactly the hope for mind show. And the, and the, the reason I hope so many people adopt it is because the best way to become media literate is to make it. Of course, being educated on it would be ideal. And there's actually, um, a great book, I'm forgetting the name of it, but it basically makes the argument that we need to be teaching visual literacy on a par with written literacy. Mm-hmm. And of course, like that's absolutely true. Short of that happening uh, with our with with Ms. DeVos at the helm, um, I think the best <laughs> we can hope for is teaching ourselves. And Mindshow will let you do that because you know, oh, I don't want to be the green alien because I'm realizing that the green alien has this effect on, you know, my, let's say my audience is my family. When my family watches it, they keep not looking at the green alien because it creeps them out. Okay, maybe something about the way that green alien looks doesn't jive with that audience. But then when I show it to my friends, they love it. So now I'm tailoring it to the audience and suddenly I've made a really interesting, I've, I've learned something really interesting about rhetorical visual literacy. Yeah. And, oh, when I, you know, because, you know, you can, of course, export with, like, 2D video. So, oh, when I frame it this way, it has this effect. And so that's where, like you mentioned, like, you don't have to be a genius. And I totally agree with that. And I, and I think the hope is actually that Mindshow reveals that there's a lot more creative genius in people than, than they slash we give ourselves credit for. Yeah. So, you know, fingers crossed we Fing- can creative ourselves past the apocalypse finger oh my god yeah um what else what else caught your eye and then then we'll we'll launch into uh we'll we'll launch into some 
philosophical zones and then we'll also catch up with what your immediate future is cool um yeah so another one that i really loved was zero days vr um and zero days vr uh you know the sort of the tagline is you become the stux network who's the the, the filmmaker on that was um yasmin alaya was okay. the director via scatter um mm-hmm. so scatter and death kit work together scatters the production company and death kit does the volumetric video um, and I'll say what I've said when I've talked about it elsewhere. Um, you know, this, I'll, I'll say the spoiler alert piece now, but basically you're, you're this worm and it's the color palette's really minimal, but the, the visuals are really sort of expansive and beautiful. And you're watching this sort of lava like virus move through it, it. Basically it was developed by the Israeli and U S governments to infiltrate an Iranian nuclear facility. And they made it, um, in such a way that it they had to give it autonomy and so mm. that was according to this documentary a bigger push by um the israeli sort of uh cyber intelligence agency as opposed to the nsa the nsa is usually really subtle and tries to stay out of out of the way but so basically it ran haywire and it became this huge media kerfuffle and everything else because it started infiltrating other parts right um and so you're watching this happen and you're being sort of like barraged with information that you can actually take in. It's akin to doodling and actually taking in a lot of information while you doodle. You're sort of stimulated in a really interesting way and there's little sort of news things floating by you and you're in kind of like a matrix-like grid and then you're, you know, you're floating watching these, this, yeah, this sort of magma, lava-like um, worm sort of overtake the circuitry of this Iranian nuclear facility as you're learning all this stuff. And then you segue into, they actually had a whistleblower. Um, they had somebody, they, they, they had an actor play the whistleblower, but they had direct contact with a whistleblower. Because, oh, sorry, I, I should back up. It's a corollary piece to a, a documentary of the same name called Zero Days by Alex Gibney, which is, you know, a full flat media two hour, you know, or so documentary. Yeah. And, um, and Gibney's the master of this kind of world. Mm-hmm. Like, he does a lot of. He does a lot of investigative journalism style pieces into, you know, international crises. That's that's his stock in trade. Yeah. Talk about a talk about a dark place to be. But God bless. <laughs> I mean, God bless. You know, we need him, you know, oh, um, more than ever. I just, yeah. So in the documentary, the whistleblower is presented to you in volumetric capture. So you're watching her talk to you and, you know, it's, you can like lean in any given direction and see, but it's sort of this like point cloud kind of, it's stylized in this point cloud thing, which is. So it's not photorealistic, but it's, but it's almost impressionistic. Kind of a mix of both. Mm. So this comes by way of Depth Kit and Depth Kit has done a really great job refining their tool set. And so it definitely had a sort of stylized, um, point cloud thing going on but it really felt like a person so it didn't feel it didn't have the artificiality of a lot of uh other kind of like point cloud like it didn't feel like you know the radiohead music video or something like that right um so anyway so this is a spoiler alert at the end of that video you're 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 viewing this on an oculus and there's an oculus sensor in front of you and the cam the camera the the pov kind of shifts and you're still seeing the whistleblower, but now you're kind of seeing her in profile and you look over to your left. It's otherwise kind of a blank, abstract black space. And you see a volumetric projection of yourself in real time live oh. being spoken to by this whistleblower. And all of everything that you've just learned comes crashing down. You're like, I'm complicit and implicit in this. You know, like all of this stuff is fed by my drive to feel entertainment, what I give away, like all this stuff. And then live right there, you're looking at yourself in an Oculus, like your eyes are covered as 
this yeah. whistleblower is sort of capping off how crazy this whole scenario it's was. almost like they've they've iterated and pulled you into the into the story and and dis- in a disassociative way cuz like you're you're seeing yourself i and i'm remembering the first time i saw myself on a, a 360 video like it was at, it was at one of the VRLAs and mm. or some no was it it might have been it might have been at um I when they launched the Nokia Ozer, so it was something. Camera where, and it was it was it was weird because it was a little bit of delay, um, uh, and of course, like I checked out my own butt, you know, like that's the first <laughs> thing to do. I was like, oh look, I can know. Oh, oh, that's what I'm looking for. Oh man, I gotta go to the gym. Um, <laughs> but it uh, it was really, yeah. I mean, it was it was literally an out of body experience, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's probably the weirdest thing that VR can do for you is give you like a slightly timed or delayed. Yeah. Especially when like what I thought was such an expert maneuver here, like obviously one could see that and say like, Oh, that's kind of gimmicky, but it, it hammered home everything you've just learned. And you've been in this kind of abstract space. It's not abstract it's tangible, but it's abstract insofar as like, it's not like visually. Yeah. 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 Um, And then you're in it. You know, you are part of the story. You participate in this story. You participate in this story, which is not a story. It's reality. So it's like. And that's interesting because it sort of makes. It reveals your agency, uh, like you mentioned, as a matter of like complicity in in the story. And, and for me, for immersive agency is the thing that must be being played with. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's the elastic element. Mm-hmm. If I if I go to something that says that it's immersive and I find that it's only performative and that all that's asked of me is to just bear witness, then, you know, maybe it's a really good piece of site specific or, you know, maybe it's like really, really dynamic, but even just the barest level of, you know, like, I mean, like sleep no more that is got the barest mm-hmm. level for, for a lot of it of immersive, which is, you know, choose your own adventure. Like, what, what, who do you want to follow? Right. That's your choice. Right. You know, and just that little spark of agency is enough to open up all these dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, the that's a thing about a lot of 360 video or anything that's kind of more linear in VR right now is you, you only have so much agency because you can, it's about turning your head. Right. But even this idea of just like touching on that idea by drawing you in particularly sort of brings in to question you know how much agency we actually have in the world as someone who's passive right and i think that's something i think we're really getting hit on a cultural level right now with the idea of exactly what the, the doc is going after which is like even when we're passive we're still we're giving up our agency. Mm-hmm. Like we have agency and whether or not we claim it is really the big question of our lives at the moment. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, preach. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I pass the tithe around. Peyton, you're <laughs> actually going to make the pitch. And I'm like, no, you're not going to make the pitch. Um, we, um, before we started, uh, we, we nearly got into a rant. Um, and so I just want to like, cut to that actually in some ways because we've been we've, we're almost at an, coming up on an hour here um and it hasn't felt like it at all oh. i'm like looking at the number of like really that long oh uh-huh. boy it's 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 one of those episodes um you were god how did we start this because like we were we were talking and you got on about sort of 
because there's the players. You're talking about the different people in the space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, we were sort of talking about the the VR landscape and the continuous sort of um, speculation about it. And so what I see playing out is kind of a triangle wherein there's kind of a lack of communication uh, from the different points. And so you've got the people making VR and you've got um, journalists sort of describing that like you know this is gross overgeneralization and then you've got the sort of financial end where you're getting all this speculation which is really not rooted in either of the two arms and a lot of the journalism is sort of bubbling up from the ground you know a lot of the major publications are only now you know like when you start to look at the you know your guardians your la times your you know even down into the tech sphere like your wired magazine things like that their coverage of VR is really only when it's when it's salacious, you know. Yeah. When it's the, is there, the lawsuit. If, you if know? there's a lawsuit, if there's a financial story, if there's if there's a, a you know someone failed to hit their target now because you know this past year was the year that the headsets went on sale, right? And because it wasn't instantly the iPhone, right? Everyone was like, "Oh, this is totally failed now," and that right. was the mainstream story. And anyone who's in the in the actual VR press was like. No, this is what you're expecting. Or you have Mark Zuckerberg the week we're recording being like, yeah, Italian investors. Yeah, like we're not expecting this to be profitable for like five, ten years. Like you don't know what we're doing here. And tech capitalism, the way finance capitalism, it's it's quarter to quarter. Right. It's all living and dying by like, how many did you sell? Oh, pull the funding. Right. You know? Right. Well, and it's one of these things where there actually is, you know, I, I don't even mean this in a fanboy way. There's so much amazing stuff happening in VR, but it hasn't been synthesized in a way that I mean, you hit on the you hit the nail on the head with the iPhone reference because, you know, the iPhone is capitalizing on a bunch of divergent technologies that were slowly converging over the course of 10 years prior, you know, cellular technology. There was an app store, you know. A decade prior to the App Store, the iPhone App Store, but until it was synthesized and packaged in the way that it was, that's really what you know spurred the growth yeah. of the iPhone and things like that. You can even see like the the Newton, which failed, the Palm, which came up, the Handspring, which had attachments. One of my friends like made like the second, you know, she she iterated on like the second camera that went into uh, the Handspring visor, wow. and that thing, and then that camera. Was like I remember uh, the the comic book writer and novelist Warren Ellis. He did a, a photography book um, with like basically poems. Uh, it was called Available Light, and it was just photographs that he had taken on the handspring. And those were black and white photographs. And I can still mm-hmm. remember when, like we were taking, you know, it was almost like the first selfies. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like oh hey we can do this click right. Yeah. Um, and and then those like those like faded and died and faded and died and then the then the BlackBerry came up mm-hmm. and th- all that paved the way for you know the black slab of glass which we all now carry around with us which is arguably arguably going to be clear uh, yeah this time next year which is a whole other conversation. <laughs> who knows if that happens well like, here's uh, here's yeah. here's what I'm interested to see um, I really think the where we should be setting our sights in terms of gauging market interest are the snap spectacles that will tell you how popular vr and ar are going to be it'll mm. be it's sort of the canary and in for the those who mind. don't know the snap spectacles is it's it's a pair of glasses that are basically hands-free snapchat capture devices that are 
you know, marketed at Snapchat addicts. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can put them on. There's a camera on either side, I think, is it? You know? Uh, You mean facing out? Yeah, facing out. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's a pure capture device. Yeah. Like it doesn't, you, you read nothing on, but the promise is that you can just, you can snap without having to bust your, your camera out. Or well, your phone out. You, you, <laughs> Call it a camera. Basically, the video port. Yeah, camera, yeah. You, the video ports to your phone where you can add filters and edits. I, I don't yeah. have one, so I can't speak. Uh, you know, from deeply, deeply ingrained. Um, I never made the big jump to Snapchat. I, I like it in theory. You know, um, I watch it, but I don't. I don't participate. Exactly. Um, but I think what I think why I see a lot of heat around that, and why I think it's a, a good sort of place to start setting your sights is because it is augmented reality light. And I do think they're pulling off a really expert long game. Because my prediction is that basically they're trying to graduate Snapchat out of phones. They're trying to make it to where that camera can recognize your hand gestures and so you can flick through filters just live. Mm. You can voice to text any sort of caption you would want to put on it and it can hear you. And... You can send it all from the interface of the glasses. I really think that's where it's going. And they also have some of the most, you know, robust facial recognition data of any company on the planet. Yeah, which is frightening. It is. I mean, you know, with the with the with the bots, they you walk up to get your snap spectacles, and it just reads your face, and it's like, "Is this you?" And you're like, "Yes." And then you get the spectacles, and they're linked. So it's pretty wild. Whoa. And so imagine, like, like if I paid walking, already, right? Like, I think that, so. I mean, it's like yeah. they're like a. Yeah, it's like a vending machine kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you had to have like prepaid something. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so then the idea that I'm walking around in the world and it knows, you know, Jesse's spectacle see Noah, Noah's spectacle see, and we're like, oh, we can either have a shared experience or we can find a way to socially network live. You know, there's all these possibilities that I think they could be toying with right now, but they're playing a good long game, which is that they're trying to be really simple at each step. There's well, never an instruction manual. There's never yeah. anything that's like, oh, I don't know how to use this. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's sometimes it's they'll they'll try to make it simple and they'll fail. I've done that a few times in, in my book. Like I'll be like, "How did you even get to that thing?" And it's like a lot of it, but always at the core of Snapchat's UI is a degree of playfulness. Mm-hmm. And I think where where they're doing really good and where why the spectacles to the degree that they'll be successful are successful is that they are being marketed essentially as a toy. Right. Right. Like like this is something that you definitely do not need. Right. But if you have. It'll be fun. Right. Right. And it's like the polar opposite of Google Glasses, where I was like, this is the future right, of computing. Right. And you're going to want this. And like everyone was like, no, in fact, can you get that off and like take that off while you're in my bar, please? Right. Or I'll throw you the F out. Right. You know? <laughs> right. And that's that stuff that actually happened. Right. Um, or so these things, like they even, they look goofy. They're like big and plasticky. I think yeah. they're like yellow on the side. And it's just like, they look dorky as all hell yeah they try to make them look cool because they i think they're the cover of los angeles magazine while we're recording this has like a it's about silicon beach and it has a woman wearing snapchat spectacles oh, on that's them, funny right um but that playfulness and i think i think that's the thing that that's the thing that's interesting about technology right now uh and that's interesting about you know immersive or interactive stuff that's live is you know there's there's the horror stuff which we talk about on the show to some degree but that this playfulness this vein of wanting to just you know have some brightness and some lightness given yeah. that so much of our computing and so much of our so much of our media consumption and interaction is like heavy and brooding and 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 serious and 
you know, there's a very much a need to like recharge. Right. Um, a desperate need to recharge right now. Well, and that's where I think with VR, like, I don't get me wrong, the sort of what I call like the instantial VR pieces, you know, the one-off kind of linear narrative pieces can definitely still hold weight. Um, one piece we didn't talk about too much is Dear Angelica, and it's sort of the buzz, the buzz piece oh, yeah. of Sundance. That's 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 uh, from Out of Oculus Story Studio, Sasha Unskeld's uh, next big piece. Describe it a little bit because it's oh, basically it's a um, a girl is a, a daughter is sort of remembering. So it's, first of all, it's made in Quill, which is Oculus Story Studios. Um, sort of narrative design art tool. It's like a painting tool that can also be uh, turned into, you know, a, a story tool. Um, and so it's really beautiful. Obviously, the colors are wonderful. And it's and it's a really impressionistic also. So it's this daughter remembering her mother, who is a movie star, who happens to be voiced by Gina Davis, who they had sort of based this character on from the onset, which is really beautiful. Um, and basically, she's remembering these moments growing up where... Obviously, whatever character her mother was playing, whatever movie she was in, sort of captured the moment, the memories that this daughter has Mm. of this mother at that time. And so that's playing out all around you in this sort of memory swirl. And so all these different things are happening in an otherwise blank space where then you'll see her writing, where she's like writing in a diary and the words will appear sort of floating, you know, in like aquilinear vectors around you. And so, and, and it was sort of, rightfully considered the strongest story to sort of happen in VR, you know, like in terms of singularity of vision and execution of that vision and not trying to be anything other than this story told exactly for this medium, the way it was meant to be told. It is a sort of a, it's a legacy piece. You know what I mean? It's one that we'll look back on and see as like a, as as an important moment. Um, But I also think it's not the right, not not Dear Angelica, but that style of VR is not where the meat of VR is. Where the meat mm-hmm. of VR is is in the mind shows and the VR chats and alt spaces and and Janus VRs of the world. It's the let's go build worlds and hang out in them and do goofy stuff and oh let's portal into those one off experiences from within these bigger worlds that we're goofing around in. But it's not going to be like going to the movies, which I think is what VR is trying to work out right now. It's trying to work out that it's not that, that it yeah. is this other thing. And I mean, what's what's interesting is that like the idea of like portaling into something, portaling into a world, like you go down to the IMX VR and they've got pods set up and like each pod's got uh, experience plugged into it, which itself to me is almost like weird. Although, I mean, it makes some sense like, okay, for this one, you need this much space for that one, you need mm-hmm. that much space. So there's a little bit of sense to it, but that each one feels like it's a dedicated to a particular, mm. you know, one only. Oh, like Charles of Tatooine's in pod seven and like someone's in there right now. It's like, well, you've got like 17 of these headsets, like just pop me another one. But, um, you know, there's, there's different requirements, but that, that idea that, you know, some of it's going to be, oh, I want to go live. I want to go play around in the Star Wars IP universe. And some of which are like, oh, I'm going to want I want to like play around in a Lego like thing. You know, I'm going to have some like raw clay to work with. And other things are going to be I want to see what happens when, you know, in, you know, visionary people like Sashka Unseld like are unleashed in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, that's the thing. There, there are no there aren't any hard limits on what it what it can be yeah. i think that's what it gets everyone freaked out yeah well to, to poach words from rachel rosin reality is the medium yeah you know it's not paint it's not canvas it's not film it's not i mean we're reality is the medium yeah well and and slashka has a whole thing about you know the 
it's the moment, right? Like it's emotional moments mm-hmm. are the building blocks of this kind of storytelling. And I think that's so, I think we have brought it up on the show before. Like it feels like that is so true. Um, no, we, we didn't bring it on the show. We brought it up in the Slack channel. Cause like Brian Bishop had, had seen Dear Angelica and he got a chance to talk to Sashka and, and that feels true for us here in the immersive performance world as well. It's like, it's, even more than in a film where like when you look back on a film you'll think about oh like this happened and that happened these moments that stand out and like really crystal clear and why like endings are so important in movies um and openings too to kind of pull you in but even more so in immersive because you'll it, it's happened to you mm-hmm. and and those emotional beats that aren't just something you bear witness to but that you were a part of mm-hmm. and that's the that's the secret sauce that's that's where it tags yeah. in. Yeah, whether it's whether it's one that you land in, like something like Dear Angelica, or something you create, like yeah. in my show. Well, and that's it's funny because like on the gaming side, right? Like so many people. I mean, let's just be real about it. You know, Minecraft laid the groundwork for a lot of that sort of shared creative space sure. thing, and this whole idea of emergent gameplay, and the whole idea of you know sandboxes where people can do things together yeah or you look at the way a mod community will keep a game alive forever uh if they can get their hands on the source code and all the crazy stuff they can do with it i was just reading about um i haven't finished reading the article i skimmed an article about the old jedi academy game which is uh jedi knight 2 jedi academy and they've someone just carried him up with a very large mod called movie battles Two that allowed people to like play out like the classic. Oh my God. But, but also prequel movie battles. And this is a game that I maybe came out and maybe came out in 2002. If, if, if that late and like old, old game and, the, and it, they're still modding it. Hmm. They're still modding it, which is amazing. And the people yeah. who originally made the game were so excited that people are still messing with their stuff. Yeah. All this time later. But that's a space for emergent play. You know, that's a space for those those moments of moments of connection between people. Yeah, well, I mean, when when Sansar and High Fidelity come out, and they, I mean, I'm curious to see What's, the way. Okay, no, Sansar and High Fidelity, you have to explain. So. Okay, so basically, the way I describe it to people who uh, listen to a particular kind of music growing up, um, it's sort of like uh, the way At the Drive-In turned into Sparta and the Mars Volta. So okay. basically, Philip Rosedale, who made Second Life, he's making High Fidelity. And the company he made Second Life with, they're making Sansar. Okay. So it's sort of two, but they're but they're both, uh, what we'll call like sandbox MMO. I don't want to call it RPG. I mean, you get right. the idea. Like m- massive universe, open world, do whatever you want, pick your avatar, worlds, right. akin to Second Life. Um, and speaking of modding. Um, a friend although, of mine. What oh, was that? Oh no! But stay on Second Life for for a moment, though. Although, although like Second Life is is both famous and infamous because like, um, there was so much like everyone basically at, when I remember Wired articles and there was all this buzz around Second Life and it was like this is going to be it, like this is the future of the internet, and then it it just became this like really weird place, yeah, like this this weird kind of disassociative place yeah. where where some horrible things like also sure. happen, you know. Sure. Um, so a part of me. I've seen some of the stuff that they've been doing on the VR side and like, they definitely seem to have like the technology and they've been, they've been it from the start, right? Mm-hmm. Almost from like the, I think the first VR LA they had showed up to if memory serves, but I'm always a little skeptical. Cause like I, having seen where that road went before, 
But then again, that's the same thing can be said about VR itself. Well, we all saw where it went before. Sure, we know it, sure, right? yeah. You know? No, I mean, I think there. I mean, there's so many question marks right now, and those of us who who love this stuff. I mean, I think a lot of people assume that we're not also skeptical. They're like, oh, I'm going to come at you with the concerns about VR because you're the one that loves VR. And it's like, no, any skepticism or concern you have, I have like 14 for that one. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's what like, about when people like vomit? It's like, well, I've read the articles and talked to the person who wrote the article about the vomit right. that they referred to at Oculus. And let me tell you, we're right. We're not worried about the, the vomiting. We're worried about people getting vestibular dysfunction and crashing their cars if they spend <laughs> right. in too long. Right. right. That's what we're actually worried about. <laughs> you, you just, you just worried about puking. Right. She right. says that's a you feature, not a bug. There. Yeah. Yeah. I forget the name of it, but there's one, there's, there's a, um, that was a real, tip. there's an acronym disorder. It is an acronym. I, I'm forgetting it, but basically where I call it just like VR infects your mind. Like basically you have VR brain for any period of time spanning a day to some people have reported up to like four months where their ability to engage with the real world. They're basically, it's basically dissociative. It's, it's, dis, yeah. it's reality dysphoria. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, when I did the, I probably was because I was like whipping myself around in the John Wick thing. And then I walked around the farmer's market because it was like right across the street, at, right there at 3rd and Fairfax uh, in, in Los Angeles. And where we are. <laughs> and I felt I, it wasn't necessarily, I don't think it was motion sickness. And I don't think I, I felt dizzy. I felt a little weird. VR brain, dude. And I couldn't, but I couldn't tell if it was. This is the funny thing. Like it, it wasn't as crisp visually mm-hmm. as as other VR experiences I've had, uh, and it was asking me to look really deep into mm-hmm. the the field without yeah, giving yeah. me like real crispness. Like I couldn't re I couldn't refocus my gaze down and get it. Like it wasn't all in depth. Right. So there was something weird going on there, and that could have been the function of the he- the headset. But then also, in this game. You know, it's it's a it's a shooter and you're in 360, and so I died the first couple of times because like people were popping up in places where I wouldn't expect them to pop up, and also it's like half the screen's flashing red. I'm like, mm. what? Oh, there's a guy there. Shoot, shoot! And so you're like whipping back and forth and around and ducking down. And you're like, mm-hmm. and you're just you're thrashing yourself while you're in VR, and then you come out of it, and like you're just you've made yourself dizzy. And I and I honestly don't know if it was. What combination? But it's the closest I've gotten to that VR brain motion sickness mm. yet. The only other time was there was a, there was like a sit-down shooter type thing uh, that I couldn't play for like more than two minutes. And I was just, I almost wanted to be like, you guys should not be showing this in public. Yeah, yeah. This... You know, like, like, I don't get sick and this just made me ill. Right. So. Yeah, one other, one other thing in that vein that I unfortunately am NDA'd so I can't describe. Right. But that I'll sort of provide as a as an answer of what to do right, right is on the way back from park city i stopped at the void and yeah that that is how you do it right i'm angry that the void was only in when they popped up for the ghostbusters thing last year that was only in new york yeah um but given also that like i mean i don't know what the 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 the, the space amount the square footage but like new york's more expensive than la so like they could have done it maybe they could only do one right you know they had to choose and new york for ghostbusters makes more sense but um yeah the void is the thing that i'm that i'm most interested in getting getting a full-on experience of 
well, that and running around at the X Lab, but you know, but the sure. Void, they're um, they're up to some interestingness. So you're also making me want to jump off and. <laughs> yeah, you're like, bye everybody, bye everybody. Let's talk about Linden. Linden. Um, you are leaving town. I am leaving town. You're going up to the Bay Area. Wherefore? Uh, I'm going up to be part of Boost VC's Tribe Nine. Uh, it's uh, an accelerator for my startup. And what's your? Do you want to talk about the startup? Sure. Or, yeah. Um, it's called Galatea, and it is a uh, writing writing and pre. God, I've I've had to say this so many times that <laughs> so my brain like short. Give circuits. me your elevator pitch. I know Jesse. elevator pitch. <laughs> uh, it's a writing and pre production tool for immersive media. So. Like I got the idea for it when I was trying to write a like a cafeteria scene in a 360 video where there were eight different conversations going on and things happening simultaneously and final draft just didn't cut mustard for that. And then it started growing into this larger thing of like we actually need a different grammar, both both in terms of the physical words we use, but also in terms of the mental grammar of understanding how story is built in VR. And then that grew into a whole thing where it's like in the manner in which VR is a convergent form, we have to have more hands on deck in the pre-production process than we might in a film. You know, like I as a writer, unless I have so many fields of expertise, like unless I know how to, uh, you know, sound design an environment in spatial audio, you know, things like this. I need other people's input. So then I need it to be a collaborative cloud app and I need it to be, you know, to feel intuitive and all these things. So. Anyway, that grew into a conversation with a programmer, a friend of mine in Chicago. I convinced him to come out to L.A. and take the leap. And, you know, the good folks at Boost think that it's worth a shot. So, Oh, that's exciting. We'll see. You get to be up in the Bay Area. Have, yeah. you, have you lived in the Bay Area before? I've never lived there. I've been there several times, and it's really gorgeous, obviously. Oh, yeah, no. It is, it is beautiful. So, I'm, so I'm, I'm basically a native. I moved up there when I was, like, in first grade. So, like... Part that counts. Yeah. Like if you're seven or under, that's yeah. where you're from. I was born down here though, so I'm a California boy through and through. And like, they are they are very different. They are, but they're very much the same. Like that's the funniest thing. Like, the Bay Area people will be mm, like native Bay Area people. Like, oh, you're coming up from LA, whatever. Just tell them, tell yeah. them you're from Wisconsin. They'll be a lot yeah, right, to you. Right. Like, ignore the LA part. You'll be fine. Yeah, there seems to be a beef from coming from like you know yeah in a like sort of a quiet california beef but it's that la quiet. doesn't share no, la is like oh yeah the bay's great it's not quiet in the bay right it's not quiet in the bay like the bay is that like, la and then um i mean that may have changed because like tech has really changed and like it's it's a lot of people who aren't from the bay area who are in the bay area now so it's it's categorically different but folks who were born and raised like la is like la is the great satan and everyone in la is like oh, i love the bay area it's so awesome yeah. you know <laughs> it's a one-way beef yeah. with the exception of the sports stuff and the sports stuff sure. is sometimes vicious sure. um, but that's sports for you that's that sports ball um <laughs> get out of here sports I, I can't, I, I, I get, I, I'm the worst kind of sports fan when I let myself be a sports fan. It's, it's bad. So I don't mm. let myself do it because I can really, really get into it. Um, Jesse, this has been, uh, this has been awesome. That's wonderful. We've, Thanks, we've ranged around as we often do. Um, where can people find you online? Uh, I am at, at Jesse Damiani on Twitter. Um, look for me on VR Scout and also just read VR Scout. And the website for Galatea is galatea.design. And Galatea is spelled G-A-L-A-T-E-A. All right. And we'll catch you on the flip. Thank you.
once again want to thank Jesse Damiani for being our guest on the show today. You can find Jesse at Jesse Damiani. That's J E S S E D A M I A N I on Twitter. You can also find him on Facebook. You can find his work at VR Scout, uh, which is you know VR Scout online, and also at VR Scout on the Twitter. Um, Jesse's Jesse's great, smart, smart dude. You, you know, you just heard the episode. You know what I'm talking about. Um, the music for this episode that you are listening to, uh, that you've heard the music of, is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. What up, Chris? Hope the foot is feeling better. Um, how do you get a hold of us? You get a hold of us in several ways. One, you uh, can contact us via email, and that's where you send your tips and your tricks and you know your cocktail recipes. No underscore proscenium at outlook.com. We might have an update to that email soon. Um, more on that maybe in like a week. Um, I'm messing around with some stuff. Um, you can find us on Twitter at no proscenium. You can find me on Twitter at Noah J. Nelson. You can find all the links to everything, noprescenium.com. The Medium Collection, which is popping right now, medium.com slash no-proscenium. And last and definitely not least, not least at all, Patreon. Patreon.com slash noproscenium. That right there is how you support the show. I've got, I finally have a scheme. I've got a scheme and we might actually go to Kickstarter for it. I'll share more on the scheme after I talk to my accountant. <laughs> so I want to make sure that I'm not digging my own grave by doing this. Uh, so we're going to see how that works out. But uh, I have a very specific idea about uh, something we can do to kind of expand the footprint of the show uh, in a very, very fun way. Uh, that's going to take a little capital, not a lot of capital, but a little capital. And, um, the Patreon is probably the wrong format for it. Uh, but know this, know this, uh, we do need that Patreon. We really do. Uh, the, the digital costs are, are, uh, they're real. They're, they're not, they're not crippling, but they're real. So, um, jump in there and, um, you know, show some love for the show in the newsletter. Uh, we're still, I'm still hoping to get like a hundred people to just drop a dollar, right? Like there's, there's all kinds of tiers and there's, you know, there's like the, the consulting, you know, prize at like a, a stupidly low rate. Um, like my friends are like, why are you, what are you crazy? Um, so that's, that's a steal. And we, we will put the shingle out. Like I'll get it once I do my taxes. Like I'm gonna know what's going on and be like, okay, this is how much everything actually costs. Um, as we get professional here and get serious, uh, so this is a great opportunity to take advantage of my naivete by uh, pumping money into the Patreon and then demanding favors. Um, those of you, uh, we've got some awesome episodes coming up next week. Uh, we're gonna have David Mack on the show. Uh, David is a fellow traveler in this world and has been at it for a very long time. Uh, he works for Heidi Duckler Dance Theater. Uh, he's consulting with Center Theater Group here in Los Angeles. And uh, we have one of those beautifully uh, uh, get down to the metal, let's talk the business, let's talk the demo, let's talk diversity, let's talk what's really going on 
Um, so I'm looking forward to that one. And then I'm going up to the Bay Area the next week. Um, and I don't, I don't want to jinx it. I'll just leave it at that. There's so much going on. It's so exciting. Uh, so I'm going to talk to David next week. And until then, I'll see you at the show.